Welcome to another edition of the Heron Outlet. He is Austin Roblart. She is Alex Finley. I'm Ian Heston. Guys, talk about a pair of wonder goals to give Miami a pair of victories. They open the year two wins from two games, six points in top of the Eastern Conference, four goals, four, zero goals allowed. And let's start with those wonder goals. Indeed, we'll get to uh, a couple of injuries that Miami's dealing with, one returning quicker than another ends to New York City with the first road test of the season in the Big Apple. But we start with Coco Jean and Robert Taylor. Wow. What a pair of goals from them. Coco early on getting a, a very long low strike into the bottom left corner, beating Andre Blake. And then perhaps the goal of the year coming from Robert Taylor, a full volley upper 90 to solidify a big win and a nice celebration to boot, right, Alex? I think I know that you liked that. Let, let's start with those goals. Just absolutely fantastic. Miami only had three shots on target the entire game and scored two goals from them. So while chances were not there, they mattered when they got them, and it comes with a win against the defending and reigning Eastern Conference champions. Yeah, and those two goals, they, they're super important because I don't think Andre Blake has been beat outside the area like that in, you know, uh, you know like years. And I, I believe there's a stat to back that up. So, um, yeah, I think people reading the power rankings, people were surprised that it happened, but not really shocked. I, I think some people expected Philly to completely dominate. And I, I wouldn't say Miami dominated either. I think it was a fairly evenly matched game. Philly had their chances. Miami's defense just... Uh, made it uncomfortable for them. And, and Philly probably did have more shots on target, but Miami were more clinical, which was a big issue last season for them. So, um, yeah, I think Miami deserved the win. Neville's tactics were spot on. And, you know, to cap it off, you got Robert Taylor with the goal of the year candidate. Uh, and, um, you know, and they, now they head into the weekend against NYCFC, a team that's also struggling. Um, and a good chance to start the, off the season 3-0 and if, if they can play their cards right. You know, one thing that I, I loved about this and I've thought about a lot the last couple of days is that we had some, some disagreements last week on the pod about how Miami should go at Philadelphia. But there was one thing that we all agreed, that we all agreed on, and it had to do with the defense and it had to do with making sure that they, that Philadelphia's attackers did not break the back line and get into positions where they could be one-on-one -on -one with Drake Callender. And going through the match, that's exactly what they did. They did not allow Philadelphia to get into those areas. And I believe that with these two goals, it was like a sign of good karma. I think they were rewarded for really good organiza organizational play. Um, I thought the tactics from Phil Neville were spot on from minute one to minute 90. Even when Negri went down, we saw the switch to a back five when Taylor came on after he scored that wonder goal. Um, but I, I just thought from top to bottom, Miami had a much more complete performance than they did uh, against Montreal. I still would like to see a little bit more connection in the final third, but I'm not pushing for it because we're only two games into the season. I think it will come. It'll come with time. It'll come with players coming back from injury that we'll talk about. Uh, but overall, it was an overwhelmingly good performance from Miami. I'm not going to say they dominated Philadelphia either, but to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with them uh, at this point in the season is is phenomenal. And you don't need to dominate every single opponent, especially in a league like MLS where things can be so so razor thin, the margins like this. Let's not forget Drake, you know, had to have six saves against Montreal and, and probably was tested a little bit more. But you mentioned the back line, only four saves in this matchup. And I really think I agree with you, Austin, that the back line 
what was a lot more comfortable. They got in Carranza's face and in his head early. Uh, those early yellows in the midfield really affected uh, Philadelphia. Uh, they, they they did call for for a, a possible a potential penalty on Drake, which was interesting. That that I thought from a Philadelphia perspective, they they were calling for. I didn't really see a lot into it, but you you really see what the back line was able to do and the comfortability between McVeigh and with Kristoff right from the back, right right from day one has been. I don't want to say surprising because we both thought or we all thought that they were both capable players, but to, for it to be going as well as it is against two teams that were one and two in the Eastern Conference last year, it is a little bit of, okay, that, that's this is a really good thing that, that's brewing in the back line. Yeah, the consistency is there now with Kristoff and McVay, and we talked about the Damian Lowe trade and how uh, he was a fan favorite, but it was really needed, and that um, spurned on Schneider Borgelin's, uh signing, which he scored in the first game, and that opened some some tam gam um, to 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 be able to sign Sergi. And and now look, the the back line is kind of rocking right now, especially with Drake Calendar in a very good form. So um, a smart move from uh, Chris Henderson, and now uh, Miami are kind of reaping the fruits of uh, their their labor right now with the this uh, back line uh, combination. Yeah, I mean, if it wasn't for Kristoff, I mean, last year we we talked so much about what Mabika could bring in to coming this year. Uh, Ian Frey coming back from injury, same thing with Ryan Saylor. And now you look at the partnership between McVeigh and Kristoff, and you're like, yeah, those are the two guys that I want going forward uh, throughout the season if they can stay healthy. Now, if they do end up switching into a back five at some point this year, which I'm not taking off of my bingo card at all because it is a Phil Neville side, um, I think it's possible you see a guy like Saylor come in just like he did at the end of this match, um, and at least to preserve leads or, or in those tight games where you're playing against quality attackers and you only have a one-goal lead or you want to preserve a two-goal lead and you don't want them to get back into the match. I think it's possible that that is their role going forward. But to say that I thought that a guy from Ukraine that, we had not heard of before the season and Chris McVay would be the center back pairing going into 2023. I, I would be lying if I said that that was the case. And I think that we are all pleasantly surprised and hopefully that the partnership can develop going forward. Yeah. It, it's interesting. If you had at the beginning of the year said that Miami has two wins from two games, they've scored four without conceding, but those four goals have come from a brand new center back. Uh, a guy who was playing for Inter Miami 2 last year, uh, a guy who barely played during injury after signing midseason last year, and Robert Taylor's wonder goal coming off the bench within a minute of coming on, none of that was part of the plan. None of that includes Joseph Martinez or Leo Campana. And let's talk about them for a sec, because Campana has been out week to week is what Phil Neville has referred to and the club has referred to it as. He was uh, seen with that compression sleeve uh, on the uh, on the the Montreal game with, with that on his leg. I saw him leave after the Philadelphia game without it. He was in training on Tuesday in the gym, not a participant on the field. And we'll get an update on Thursday from Phil Neville as to his status for the weekend. It is possible, I would say, unlikely that he's playing against New York City. And we'll see for Toronto after that. To go this this two-game stretch and potentially a couple of more if needed without 
the guy you're expecting to be your main goal scorer. What does that mean for Coco? What does that mean for Stefanelli? What does it mean for Joseph and this offense writ large to be able to to finding ways to win without your now brand new designated player status as well on the field for you? Yeah, I think it's just a like for like swap really. You know, when Joseph, you know, he's still not fully fit. So when he comes off the field, Campana will come on. And I don't think it'll be really an issue. You know, if there's anyone who will probably get dropped from the starting 11, maybe it'll be Stefanelli right now because he's still coming, you know, he's still getting into and getting used to things and still hasn't quite been there. But Coco Jean has stepped up. Pizarro, Gregory Marta, they're undroppable. So if they do switch back to that that diamond, um, uh, I don't know who would play us at 10, but I can definitely see uh, Stefan, uh, excuse me, uh, Joseph and Campana coming back and starting together. Phil Neville has spoken about wanting to play with two strikers, so I, I don't see this being a, a real issue, really. I, I think he'll just go back to what was uh, what they were doing, and if Campana's still not fully fit, I think it's just a like-for-like swap for Joseph and Campana. You know, maybe uh, Leo coming on for the last what, 20 minutes to get some game time until he's fully fit, and they'll just keep swapping. I I personally don't. I mean, depending on what happens on on Thursday in this update from training that we'll get, um, I I don't see why you would play Campana right now, especially away from home um, and traveling to you know New York and Toronto. I think that he should just be getting the any in all rest and recovery time needed, uh, especially away from home. And I think that it also at the same time puts a lot of pressures on these attackers that as Ian mentioned right before that amazing transition that I mentioned in our chat just now, um, had scored goals in unorthodox ways, to say the least. And I think that going away from home, you're not going to get those strings of luck. And so something that I'm really going to be keeping an eye on, depending on who plays in the attack, is can Miami finally come through three and four games into the season as we enter this away stretch and create clear-cut chances? They need to be able to do that away from home. I think that the defense is is again a solid a solid backline uh, as we just spoke about, and I think that that's going to keep them in these matches. But they have to score goals as well. But score goals, scoring goals in a way that they're doing now is amazing and fantastic to watch. But it's also um, not sufficient enough, and it's not going to be efficient enough to score from outside the box every single game and try and and try and win that way, or hope for a double rebound off the post and the defender on the line, or all of those different kinds of things. So I think that that's something that is going to be a key to success for Miami on this trip away from home. Can Joseph finally find a way to get on the ball? I mean, he's had very limited touches in the first two games. Can Stefanelli step up? He needs to gel a little bit better, I think. Coco, honestly, if he plays the way he did and drifts inside, he will be a key factor going forward. Pizarro needs to keep putting the effort in. I love the engine that Malta and Gregory are, just like Jim Curtin spoke about after the Philly game. It's just about those front couple of guys, and can they connect well to create clear-cut chances? That's what I'm looking for away from home. I think against New York City, you you have the difficulty of the, so much of a smaller pitch, right? Almost uh, too small, some would say, uh, for, for regulation standards. But because of that, there is a tendency to give up goals, right? Inter-Miami lost 2-0 at Yankee Stadium last year. Uh, City Field in the playoffs, that was a, a similar size pitch it's a little bit bigger but barely that was a three goal if you count the you know the one that was in in you know game over time in in stoppage time at the end there so that was three nil in the playoffs uh so they haven't been able to get the goals in new york against nycsc 
but they have conceded. That's that's why the attack for me is so important against the Pigeons this coming Saturday. But that brings me to Joseph because he hasn't gone a full 90 yet. You had mentioned Austin hasn't gotten a lot of touches yet. Only he's had two shots. Neither has been on target in two games so far. And he does so many things off the ball that I think sometimes it's going to be difficult for us to judge play based on statistics because he is such a menace out there without the ball. And and it's really beautiful to watch. If you get a minute where where you just want to spend 10 minutes watching one player, if you're if you got a, you know, uh, one of your if your son or your daughter wants to play striker and you want to teach them about off ball motions, just have them sit down and watch 10 minutes of Joseph Martinez out there because it is remarkable to watch. That being said, the other aspect of it is strikers are paid to score goals. And right now, that part of it isn't there. It When does the pressure start for him? When do we start talking about this? I know it's early, so I don't want to, to be at that moment yet. But you, like you had said, Austin, you can't rely on wonder goals week after week. You can't rely on... Sergey Kristov scoring only his 14th career goal in 12 seasons uh, week after week after week. At some point, especially without Campana, it kind of needs to fall on Joseph to be creating chances. Uh, I don't know. I, I don't think there's one way to play soccer, really. Uh, honestly, if, if uh, as long as they're scoring goals, I don't think they really care who it comes from. You know, like you said, Sergey scored and uh, Schneider Borgeland scored and those two wonder goals and they won the games, didn't they? They got the three points. I mean, you know, they, they played well in the buildup. They just couldn't get, uh, you know, even in the first like couple of minutes of their, against Philly, they, they, you know, they had, a, you know, Joseph and Pizarro had a couple of chances, but uh, Philly snuffed it out really quickly. So I don't think Miami really care who scores. They just want to score. And I'm sure uh, Phil Neville, of course, he would like, you know, Robbie Robinson, come back, Jacob Cava, uh, Campana, all the, all of them to come back, Joseph and start firing on all cylinders. Steph Nelly as well, but, Right now they're two and oh they've scored four goals in two games, which is you know even you know Miami last year didn't they didn't score as freely even in their history they 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 were never like a free scoring team, so the fact that they are able to get four goals in two games is already a win for them, and you know they beat two teams that were in the top echelon of the Eastern Conference last season, so I don't think they really care who scores joseph he'll come you know obviously he wants to you know break records, I believe he's two goals away from. Uh, 100 goals in MLS, I think. I, I don't know if that's the record, but he's two goals away from, you know, breaking some record again, and he wants to score those, obviously, and he wants to win trophies with Miami, so obviously, you know, he'll get acclimated, and I'm not worried about him, and yeah, with Miami, I think they're just, you know, Franco Negri can score, you know, Stefanelli, you know, Harvey Neville coming off the bench. I don't think they really care as long as they're winning games and, and playing well while winning them, because a lot of those games last season, Miami would have lost them, you know, if you know, because they just weren't able to score without, you know, Eguin or Pozzuolo had a bad night. They just couldn't score. So the fact that they're getting goals spread out now, you know, Lasseter, uh, excuse me, Taylor, uh, Coco Jean, uh, Christoph and Borgelin, you know, that's kind of spread out now. So I don't think they really care, but obviously you do want your forwards to score, and I'm sure it'll happen inevitably because, you know, that's why they, they acquired Joseph for the main main reason. I just I think it's less about who and more about how. Like I I think I'd like to see a little bit better play. I think the transitional play has actually been pretty good when they win the ball in their own third or or in the midfield. But it's just when they get to the final third, it's about creating a clear cut chance. And I can't think other than in the first minute of that Philadelphia game, even going to the Montreal one, that Miami 
created a clear cut chance. I guess the Borgelin one too, but that was also kind of lucky. But a clear cut chance in front of goal where you thought, yeah, this should be a goal. They should be scoring on this shot attempt. If you want to look at the XG numbers, I think that that might be able to prove it to you too. But until they start getting those chances, I'm still going to have a little bit of worry in what's going on in the attack and in the final third. And I think that going forward, especially as I just said, away from home, that's going to be where I'm keeping an eye on because if you're not getting those chances, sometimes a string of luck away from home is not going to go your way. Um, so again, it's it's less about who's scoring. It's more about how they're scoring. Um, I, I mean, it, it could be Mota darting up the box and, and breaking the center back line and, and finding space inside the area and he could score that way. But as long as they're getting that clear cut chance, I'm happy. It doesn't matter who it is. Yes, I do want to Walter see Joseph step up a little inside the area, Volta, which inside. will never happen. Which which will never happen. Which will never happen. But I'm just saying, you know, as an, just a, a hypothetical, it's not about it's not about who. It's just about how. And I think, uh, you know, it is a little bit more about who when it comes to Joseph because, as Ian mentioned, you know, it's a striker who you you know it was a highly touted signing. He's a highly touted player. Um, he has a lot of pressure on him, even without Campana, and it will come with time. I'm not too worried about it, but I, I do think as the time as the games go on, a little pressure builds. But again, I want to see clear cut chances in the final third, um, whether it's one or two a game. I know you can't come and ask for it all the time and say that they need to 100% be scoring off of clear chances every single match. You have to find ways to win games in in ways that may be unorthodox, and that's fine. And I think Miami have proven that they can do that. Now I want to see them prove the other side of the ball. Yeah, I, I mean, the, the XG, like you had mentioned, it was much better against Montreal than it was against Philadelphia, 2.5 against Montreal. Um, and so the numbers would say a lot of that is because Christoph's goal was right in front of the net, and so that's a very high percentage shot so that helps your xg a lot it was only 0.5 for philadelphia but that goes to show that how much of a wonder goals those two were especially taylor's um that that those are very low percentage and probably not consistently there for you you had mentioned uh, also though the other options i want to talk about them for a sec franco negri left the game uh with injury he is back in training saw him uh, on tuesday in training uh, with the uh, with participating with the team, um, so that's a good sight to see. Uh, but that midfield as well is is really enjoying themselves. Rodolfo Pizarro said yesterday that that he's really having fun again, and that's bringing him confidence. He told me and John Mota as well. Both of them named to the MLS team of the match day in week two. Phil Neville, the coach of the week uh, for MLS, and, and so those guys along with. Uh, Gregory, if those three are basically your fortress and and moving forward, a lot of teams are not even going to be able to test that back line. And and you what you just need from them and Stefanelli is to be able to progress, is to be able to to carry uh, into the attacking third. And that right there is the is that little minute opportunity for growth in the midfield because they're doing a great job right now of all of their responsibilities. That they are doing their job fantastic. It's just being able to, to get that little extra progression into the attacking third to help what Phil is calling two strikers. I don't know if we've really seen the final iteration of, of the two striker format that he has in mind when he's saying that. Uh, but, but to, to be able to use that midfield for offense, turning defense into offense, that's Alex. I think what I'd like to see a little bit more of. 
Yeah, and I'm looking at uh, both Gregory and uh, Rodolfo Pizarro's uh, advanced stats now. For Pizarro, he's uh, in, well, it's only been two games, but versus uh, attacking midfielders and wingers, which I would I, I think we can all agree he's been playing more of, of, out, as a winger in this 4-2-3-1 with Campana out. He is in uh, the 82nd percentile of progressive carries with 4.16 uh, carries per 90, which is pretty impressive, and it, it passes the eye test as well. Pizarro is a very good uh, dribbler, and he has great ball retention, which helps Miami's playing style. You know, they can progress the ball, like you said, Ian, into those final third areas, and he'll just, it'll be glued to his feet, and then he's sure maybe he hangs on to it a little bit too long, but, you know, nine times out of ten, he'll lay it off to, you know, Negri or uh, a Gregory or Jean Mata who's uh, behind him or next to him. So I want to point that out. And also Gregory's uh, progressive carries, it's um, better than what people expect for a defensive midfielder. He, he has 6.43 progressive carries for 90 as a uh, central defensive midfielder, uh, central midfielder, defensive midfielder, but which is still still pretty good. Him and Pizarro, uh, you know, their progressive uh, carrying and passing, even Gregory's uh, progressive passing, it, it's, it's, uh, Excuse me, I got the stats mixed around. So Gregory's pro- progressive um, passes are 6.43 per 90, which is pretty impressive. And his progressive carrying is uh, 1.50 per 90, which is still really good for um, a guy that plays in this position. So they have the ability to uh, progress the ball and, and pass it well with a Gregory and his, you know, uh, progressive passing. And even in, even if I add on Jean Mata, who, you know, he is a kind of a deep line playmaker. He also is in, you know, that upper echelon of MLS uh, uh, progressive passes and carries. So that midfield has a nice balance between Gregory's uh, great defensive capabilities, Pizarro's ball carrying and ball retention, and Mata and his ability to, uh, you know, pick a pass, you know, 20 yards out with his long passing and, and his long shots. It's a really nice balance uh, midfield. And, uh, you know, naturally there are going to be the questions, you know, if they're, if they acquire uh, Busquets in, in the summer, oh, how is that going to mess up what they've got going on here? And that's another podcast for another day, which we can touch on, maybe even do an article on, but, Still, that midfield has a nice balance, and, and, and right now we're seeing uh, how it's working well with Pizarro, more of the advanced for a uh, season midfielder, Mata, kind of the box-to-box uh, guy, and Gregory just, you know, just cleaning up the fires behind them. It's a super nice midfield, good spine, and basically whoever you play in front of them, they'll have that security of the, the trio back there, and, and, and um, naturally can build upon that and uh, progress forward. Yeah, I want to I want to touch on Pizarro and just say something a little bit funny at the moment. Uh, everything's going right for this guy. I think when he ever since he came back, it's going so right that even when he lost the ball, he still got the assist to Coco Jean. Like he was trying to make one of those progressive carries and he lost the ball. It fell to Coco Jean's feet and he scored and Pizarro gets the assist. Like that's how well things are going right now uh, in Miami's midfield and with Pizarro specifically. So there's that aspect of it. We knew about Gregory and Jean Monson. and I think that they've actually um, upped their level of play a little bit Going looking at last year's games. I hope and I pray that the yellow cards don't start coming in because we want them on the pitch at all times. Um, a lot of these a lot of these two performances remind me a lot of one that we reveled over last season. I believe it was the Portland game. Um, they played really, really well together. And then there were like, there was like a stretch of five games where like the yellow card started to accumulate right after that. And they didn't get to play together for a long time. But that Portland game was one that I looked back at and said, yeah, these two guys can hold down a midfield. And when I asked Jim Curtin post game about what kind of surprised them, whether it was tactically or effort wise, um, the Philadelphia side, I should, I should say about Miami. Well, 
he pointed specifically and started talking about Gregory and Malta and Pizarro and calling them like the, the kind of engine that, that takes this team forward. And I think that a lot of the stats that Alex were, was just mentioning proves that in, in its entirety. So uh, if they can keep this, this trio together for quite some time, especially going into the summer, I think that it's one thing that we won't have to talk about going forward on the podcast, unless it's in like, we're reveling over the fact that they're playing so amazing. So I think that that's something that is at the bottom of the concerns for Miami. And that's exactly what you want from a midfield. You want that stability. That is where a team starts to build from success. If you don't have a successful midfield, you're not going to be a successful team. I think Miami have nailed it right now. Which I think is amazing when you think about the conversation that we were having six weeks ago, two months ago, when Pizarro was returning, right? When we were, were wondering, really, how are you going to get rid of the contract? And that was the that was the conversation then, and I think rightfully so. I think that people inside the, the team would tell you well, we, he was under contract, so he had to be here. That was like a lot of the conversation that you had had at that moment. And so to see how much he's having fun, and like you mentioned, that things are going well. There's a, there's a positive energy that we haven't seen from Adolfo Pizarro in his first spell at Inter Miami. There was a lot of frustration. There was a lot of where is where, where is this going and, and what do I have to do and what do you have? There, there was a lot of that right now he's smiling he's laughing he's hanging out on the bench after training uh, he's walking up and giving everybody fist bumps as he's you know coming to talk to the media and then walking away he's going through the running lines with people when when other people have birthdays like I mean it's it's a lot of good energy from Pizarro right now uh, and you know, I, I know that success and winning has a lot to do with feeling well. They didn't feel well when they were losing the first time with him. Uh, but now to see it happen. And, and that, to me, goes back to one one thing that, that I remember from preseason, which was that week in Sarasota where they were away from everybody, where they didn't have any media responsibilities. They didn't have anybody watching their stuff. They weren't necessarily playing great in the original preseason games that we had saw. They lost to Vasco da Gama. They did not look well in that game. They they had they struggled at times against St. Louis, which looking back now, St. Louis is further along than maybe we had thought. Uh, but but they they got that opportunity to get away and go back to that fun Inter Miami, fun Phil Neville, fun Jason Price, even right. They talked about singing and and in the in the hotel lobby and stuff like that that they were doing at the end of last year that I thought was was so helpful for what they were trying to do heading into the postseason. Where, where it didn't happen last year on the road, and that, that's why I want to get to these road trips now, is that, that when they were on the road last year, the goals completely shut down, right? They won four, lost 10, and drew three away from home last year. They gave up 28 goals at home, 28 goals on the road, the biggest difference was they scored 34 at home. They only scored 13 road goals in 17 road games last year. And, and that not having the, the, the amount of offense was really what crushed them in a lot of these games that they could not just eke out points. They could not get anything going. And, and so from this New York City opportunity and by extension, the Toronto uh, game that, that's coming up as well, you want to see the offense finally get going. And, and and from Pizarro, from Mota, from Gregory, to be that engine is is correct. 
I just I, I would like to see it really, really work its way on the road on the offensive side of the thing. They, they need to find goals on the road, and that that's really where I'll be watching this weekend. Yes, and I, I honestly I think it has to do with um, last season they had a really um, they over relied on um, you know the the Pozuelo, the you know the big time players the Pozuelos and the Iguains of the world, and so a lot of home teams can just game plan against that. You take them out of the game, and Miami were essentially useless. But at home, I guess other players were more comfortable, and they could you know express themselves freely. But on the road, it was just difficult because teams game planned against Miami and. And especially in RTFC, you know, those are uh, ga- difficult games because of the field. And, um, yeah, I agree. They're going to have to step it up on the road. But I think uh, the coaching staff will be better prepared this year, especially with the, the good start. And I, I do think you have to take it team by team. Like NYCFC, they, they lost and then they drew to Chicago. And this is their first home game. So they're going to be looking for a win. Uh, you know, the return of Matthias Pellegrini uh, and all that jazz. And, and, you know, Miami are coming off a two-game winning streak and they're going to want to make it three. So. Uh, they're going to want this, and they're going to play hard and, and try to get that three-game winning streak. You know, NYCFC is sort of a wounded animal right now. They want to get the win. Um, and still, they don't have a, a number nine striker to rely on. They're playing Talos Magno and this kind of a false nine, which maybe isn't working for him. And, you know, he's playing off the wing, and it, it, there's, you know, it's a little weird. But, you know, I, I think um, Miami, if there's any, you know, away game where they can start scoring goals. It's against NYCFC, you know, the team that knocked them out. And uh, in the playoffs last year, and the, the one game that a lot of uh, national writers and pundits will like to uh, uh, base a lot of their uh, 2023 opinions on Inter-Miami on, you know, you know them getting uh, beat 3-0. So a lot of their opinions are, are, are stuck on that, that loss. And, you know, for Miami, it's going to give them the opportunity to say, hey, we can go on the road and, and get our business done now. And that, that the, that 3-0 loss, you know, it, it's in the past, and this is the 2023 Miami guys that that are back and 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 looking to push on. Austin, let, let's talk about, thing let, let's about... talk about NYCFC oh, yeah. real fast because or, or transition to talking about them because they they lose a lot, and, and that has been a, a cause for concern. It's it's probably hurt them, and especially in these first couple games. But what they remain is having that home field advantage, and that home field advantage comes from one of the weirdest stadium situations in all of MLS. Playing at Yankee Stadium, that field is tiny. It it puts you almost in a vice and squeezes teams very, very tightly. Miami has transitioned into this diamond that that doesn't necessarily have any wingers when when you want it. So it can play that narrow style. I wonder now if, if this is the time where we could see Phil move more towards that narrow shape and really try and play route one soccer, go right at you, find a third line, and just play directly into your face like like he has talked about wanting to play. Yeah, I mean, a numbers, adma- a numbers advantage in the midfield is one key thing that we talked about a lot last year. I know Alex did a lot, um, and they never really found a way to control the numbers in midfield. And I think that with this sort of diamond and with Gregory, Malta, and Pizarro connecting well, if you if you need to bring in or have Stefanelli drop a little bit more, bring Coco a little bit more inward, uh, especially on this narrow pitch at Yankee Stadium, which, by the way, I think I was looking it up a little bit ago um, – they have not played at Yankee Stadium since like September of 2022 in a competitive match. Like it's been that long since they've played a competitive match at Yankee Stadium, which is kind of insane to think about. Um, but anyway, as it says, as as you're mentioning for this narrow thing, 
the numbers advantage is going to be key. I think it kind of plays into Miami's hand a little bit. I don't know. I mean, granted, it's a completely unprecedented pitch, and I, I'm not sure exactly how it's going to work. But just thinking about it in my own head and what I've seen from, from Miami these first two games, I don't think they're going to be necessarily uncomfortable, at least in the midfield, with with a narrow type of uh, narrow type of formation and, and tactically – I think it might play into their hand a little bit. Now, one thing about New York City FC, um, Talis Magno was there who had a pretty good home record, if I'm not mistaken, at Yankee Stadium last year. And I believe they just got back Santiago Rodriguez, who was on loan for them for a while, and they finally made it a permanent deal. I don't know if he's ready going into this weekend, um, but that is another attacker that you know will play into this Pellegrini uh I mean, Talos Magno is not necessarily number nine at all. He should be playing out on the wing. So if they get another number in in, in the center uh, with Pellegrini and, and Santi, then I think that having Talos Magno in a, in a preferred position of his is going to be key for them as well. But again, I don't know if that's happening on Saturday. So that's another thing that I'm looking out for. But um, this midfield, I think, is going to have to step up. They're going to be tested. The, the numbers are going to be narrow and the, everything's going to be tight. And I think it's really where they're going to have to prove their quality. Santi Rodriguez came in for Pellegrini in the last matchup against Chicago Fire. So he didn't play the full 90. We'll see if he's fit enough to to start for them or if it'll be Pellegrini. Wouldn't that be ironic? Back-to-back weeks playing Carranza and Pellegrini, um, I, I think, would be very interesting for Inter-Miami. But they, they do, like you mentioned, they do bring in Santi Rodriguez and James Sands, who started for them last week as well. Very talented central midfielder coming back over from, from Scotland, I believe, where he was uh, with Rangers. Um, and, and so he comes back in to right away, comes back into the fold for them, Alex. And, and to have that midfield uh, improve, right? It, they got bossed by Nashville in the first game. They lost 2-0. They looked lost. Nashville looked dominant on the ball. And against Chicago Fire, it was better, but it only produced a draw. Chicago got the, the equalizer in the end. And, and so they only have one point from two games. They, they, they really need to find that midfield like Austin was talking about because that, that's where they've been lost. They lost Maxi Morales, right? They lost Alexander Callens. They lost Sean Johnson. What was going out the door has not been replaced necessarily by what's come in. And, and I'm struggling to think with Miami's midfield as well as it's been playing and New York City's midfield trying to figure out who's where. Is this an opportunity for Miami to make that statement? I mean, I feel like they've already done that, but they're still not getting talked about like the Seattle Sounders of the world, like the the even St. Louis cities of the world, or even the revolution in the first two weeks. Inter Miami sort of fallen, still riding under the waves here. But could they could they use this as the opportunity to really showcase that midfield? Um, yeah, they also lost Air Bearer. They traded him to Seattle, so um, a lot of outgoings for them. Um, yeah, uh, I think the midfield right will probably. Yeah, they could definitely use him. Um, I think the midfield will be fine. You know, with Pizarro, Mata, and Gregory now, they they've started to develop a really good partnership and and the cohesiveness there. And like you said, NYCFC is still starting to uh, you know trying to figure things out. So. Um, I think Neville will game plan against that, and and um, watching the Chicago uh, NYCFC match right now, um, yeah, it was a little disorganized, really stretched out, and maybe that will change with the smaller field. But uh, Miami will have plenty of space to maneuver and work their triangulations and and, and passes and 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 um, 
and uh, you know just try to you know get more cohesiveness in the final third than they have been able to uh, against Montreal and, and Philly. So um, yeah, it'll be an interesting game. Could be a trick game because NYCFC is looking for that win and the small field, but New York haven't played on that field since September apparently. So um, definitely going to feel like sort of an away game for them and then the newer players anyway. But um, yeah, it'll be an intriguing game tactically and. You know, NOCFC always always has Miami's number, so I, I think Miami will be looking to kind of erase the wrongs of that 3-0 uh, playoff loss and, and, and kind of show uh, the league that, you know, they're serious and get that uh, 3-0 and start. And and really where, where I have uh, room for optimism, as I'm really focused on the offense, if you can't tell for this game, is NYCFC's Defense, I mean, outside of Tiago Martins, who's had not the not an impressive start to the year, they have Chano, I guess, on the back line as well. Um, they, they don't really scare you defensively as a defensive team. I guess that, that Parks and Sands in the midfield is where their organization's going to come from. But there isn't really the, the threat or the fear that you had from them when they had counts, when, when Johnson was in goal. Right, and that they could hit you at any moment with Pereira, with with Morales, with Herbert. Like they, they, you had fear playing at New York City last year. That I do, and in the past couple of years, they don't necessarily think the same gusto, the same bravado is is, is this time around. I feel like a, a riding high Inter Miami can really use this as an opportunity to not be afraid anymore. We Phil has talked so much uh, early in the season about. Getting over the mental uh, the mental struggle of their early season woes and what this team has dealt with in the first you know five six games of basically basically every season that they've had and, and now another one of these could be early season and road points. This sets up for fantastic opportunity. It's almost like a can't lose situation for Inter Miami heading into this week. They lost Anton Tinnerholm as well. That's another big yeah. name on the back line that, that just went away, I believe, for free as well. They lost so many players for free. Um, but, yeah, so, I mean, it's a different New York City FC team. It's still coached by Nick Cushing, who I'm pretty sure he got a permanent deal, if I'm not mistaken. Um, yeah. Yeah, so still coached by him, but it's it's not the same. And I think if Miami do find a way to take advantage, talk about getting really serious about their, their hopes throughout the season, I mean – Three and zero to start a year, and playing playing one of those games on the road at one of the most dare I say it, annoying stadiums to play at uh, in all of MLS. Uh, I think that that would be, I mean, just absolutely massive. So there's there's that going for you. I I do see this as as we have mentioned multiple times, myself and Ian, that this is a this is a test for the attack more than anything. I think this year um, or this week, it's it's more of can they as we talked about, find the chances, be able to score goals, uh, especially away from home, because that going back to the last season as well was, as Ian mentioned, not a stat that was in their favor. Uh, so I think that that's something that they're going to look to uh, 100% improve on and try and prove themselves worthy of being able to do that, especially going even farther away from home next week to Toronto. So there's a lot of different storylines here, but I think at the end of the day, 
a good performance above all is probably the most um, sought after thing. Getting a point, getting three points would be absolutely huge, but I don't think Miami can necessarily lose this if it means that they put in a good performance. I'll need to go back and double check, but I think um, because MLS has switched their playoff format so many times, but I was looking at it the other day that I think since they've had 20 teams, 10 and 10 um, in the conferences. So that's more of the expanded playoff format and not, that old style where if you were a Western conference team, you could play in the Eastern conference playoffs as, as the wild card. That was very confusing for a while, but ever since they did away with that, I think every single team that has started off three and O has made the playoffs uh, from, from three, three, nine points in three games in the first three games, every team there has made the playoffs. I'll double check on that. Um, but, but looking at it, I, I, I was trying to, to figure out, it's tough to figure out when, MLS's playoff situation is so odd and <laughs> tough to figure out. But you do bring up a good point, Austin, um, in, in terms of just how much went out the door for free. Uh, that Manchester City money definitely helps them be able to do that. Uh, but, Alex, as you're trying to – I often think about MLS is a, a situation where uh, it, it's designed to bring teams back down to earth. It is not designed for sustained success. The rules sort of dictate that that if you're very good one year, it's going to come back to bite you uh, on the back end. So uh, to to be in this situation right here for NYCFC, they they are definitely going to feel the growing pains. And here is where you want to attack, guys. Before we go, I want to talk about our brand new Twitch channel because before. Inter Miami takes the field against NYCFC. Our very own Austin Robillard is going to be taking the FIFA pitch against NYCFC and and going up against the soccer cooligans. This is fun, Austin. Tell us about it. Yeah, I mean, Andres, our, our producer, and I decided that it would be a great idea to get this Twitch channel rolling out. Uh, just another way, of course, to bring content to you guys. Um with, with the podcast, with the Substack, with our social medias, and now with Twitch, we're looking just to, to be innovative. And I think that this idea that we have coming out on Thursday night, if you're listening to it Wednesday or Thursday, whenever the podcast comes out, make sure you go in and take a look. Pretty much, we're going to be doing a pregame show. Every single Thursday, we're going to look to have a pregame show. We're going to bring on a guest from, you know, or I guess a representative of Miami's upcoming opponent. And this week, we are so lucky to have Christian Polanco from the Soccer Gooligans. Uh, to represent New York City FC. We'll be live on Twitch probably about 30 minutes. We'll have a FIFA game in there, bantering back and forth, talking about MLS, talking about the matchup, and also just having a lot of fun. Because if you don't know the Soccer Cooligans, they know how to mix comedy and they know how to mix football all together, which is such a great thing. Uh, So we are delighted to have them on. We're delighted to start this Twitch channel. Um, We're going to be bringing a ton of content to you guys, and it's just another way for you guys to you know, indulge in the Inter-Miami action that is to come all throughout 2023. So we're super excited about it. I want to send a massive thank you to Andres. He's been helping me so much to get this started, and we're putting in a ton of work into it, and I I really, really can't wait. Alex, do we know if Austin's any good at FIFA? I mean, he he didn't play in the the media game that you and I played in. We're now now going to put him to the test here. Austin, what what are your skills with the sticks here? 
look, it's been a little while. I am going to have to be coming out of retirement a bit. But listen, I, I really think that there was a time where Austin, myself, was really good at FIFA. And I was into it all the time. I even represented Miami FC at one point back in like 2020. So, you know, there's there's a little bit of history in my FIFA backing, but it has been a little while. I have been playing a little bit just to make sure I catch up to speed and don't embarrass myself uh, against against Chris. But I, I think he might be pretty good at it too. I'm a little nervous. I'm not really sure. He's sending some mixed signals, so we're going to see. But I, I do back myself a little bit. Um, actually, no, I do back myself. I'm just going to say it flat out. I back myself to win this one. I have enough FIFA skill to be able to do it. Um, and I will be keeping track of our record throughout the year. It will end positive. It will end positive. Put that into the universe, right? <laughs> we'll hope exactly. Before, before, we go, <laughs> before we go, I want to I talk about uh, CONCACAF Champions League because that is ultimately the goal, and, and it's CCL fever is amongst us. The first couple of games taking place as we record on Wednesday, taking place last night. The, the big surprise, Austin FC losing 3-0 uh, to, to the representative from Haiti, um, a, a team that I – admit ignorance on um and really just barnstormed them Ian, they hadn't played a match in 289 days <laughs> they had not played a match in 289 days which is unbelievable to think about like i i i was shocked by the result shocked uh yeah but um yeah, austin didn't, um, austin fc didn't really give them any respect honestly they didn't yeah, mm-hmm. their bench was not prepared and you know the defense was terrible and that awful own goal looked suspiciously like match fixing the way it went in so yeah that was was crazy very crazy so yeah so uh, Driussi doesn't start Rijoni doesn't start um that they had a very secondary team those are the only goals of the night too um you know as uh Philadelphia wins to uh Alianza and got a nil nil draw uh, Orlando going up against the buzz. that's a great result for them going up against Tigres and getting a, uh, getting the nil nil draw um, because that was their only hope was, was to get out of there uh, scoreless. And now they'll head back to Orlando. Um, that's a really tough draw for them. And so that's, for them to at least not concede is pretty good. Um, you still have Vancouver's in this. We'll, we'll see how far that they can go. LAFC, this is uh, shaping up nicely for them to try and make a, a deep run. Uh, what, what are what are the the takeaways that you guys got from the first night of CCL from this first round? Uh, obviously, a tournament that Inter Miami is trying to find their way into by any means necessary, uh, and hopes to be in the future. These these are the games that Miami will have to deal with, right? Philadelphia had to play Miami and then take that trip down to Alianza. Um, th- this would be life uh, w- where you know Miami would be having to deal with it uh, should they make the CCL, Alex. Yeah, and, um, you know, watching these games give uh, Miami fans good prep for what the future uh, really could be for them. And, um, yeah, it's uh, good to know the, you know, uh, Liga MX teams, the Haitian teams, the Costa Rican, Panamanian, all all these CONCACAF uh, club sides who do play good soccer and, and if you really watch them. And so it's uh, rewarding to uh, see MLS teams uh, do well and, and Austin aside. Um, but um, Orlando getting that draw with Tigres was surprising, but, yeah, they they played well, and you know, a draw was probably deserved. 
I mean, I think Orlando and Philly are glad to be going back home with nil-nils. I think that that's something that's huge, especially the rotation that Philly put in. They didn't really show any respect in their lineup against the, the, the Salvadorian side. So I think they made, I think, nine changes, if I'm not mistaken, from the Miami game going over. So that was a huge thing. And for them to pull out a result, uh, not have to, you know, waste a lot of energy on, on some of their key guys, even though I think Carranza came in late and Gazdag might have come in late as well. But there were a couple guys that they didn't even use at all. So going back to Philly to play them, I think is going to be huge. Subaru Park will be rocking. And same thing to say, same thing for uh, Exploria Stadium against Tigres. I can't imagine what that energy is going to be like in Orlando for that matchup when it comes. Uh, the one thing I will say is I'm sure Orlando, if they wanted a draw, a 1-1 would have been nice. So they would have gotten an away goal. Um, but to the very least, it's just about winning at home. And I think that that's, something that they'll be satisfied with. We'll see what Vancouver and LAFC can do uh, Wednesday night. And, and yeah, the, these are the games that Miami wants to be in. So, so uh, you know, look to them as, as a goal as, as they're going on. And, and hopefully next year, whether it be through the MLS, you know, regular season or playoffs, whether it be through uh, the U.S. Open Cup or now with the League's Cup, that these are your opportunities to get into that tournament. Guys, so much to get to as Inter Miami is flying high. Two points or two two wins, two games, six points from two games. A perfect start to the year. They will continue to do continue to try and make that three as they head to the Big Apple, New York City FC on the docket. The first road game of the year, Saturday night at seven thirty. Uh, make sure you tune in to Austin's Twitch battle against Chris Polanco of the Soccer Cooligans. Make sure you follow us on Twitter, on Instagram, on TikTok, uh, on uh, everywhere you can go. You can get us uh, subscribing to our YouTube channel and subscribe to the Substack, theheronoutlet.substack.com, the greatest place to get all your Inter-Miami news, notes, and analysis from the upcoming week. For our producer, Andres, she is Alex Winley. He is Austin Roblard. I am Ian Heston. We'll see you back here this time next week.